Hello and welcome to the Lifefulness Podcast, which we like to think of as a no-bullshit discussion about reimagining religion and remixing spirituality. Today our guest is Shappy Corsandi, comedian, author and actor. I've known Shappy since we uh, gigged on the circuit together back in the day, and I always loved her way of dealing with all manner of topics from politics to parenthood in a way which was smart and always very funny. Her passion for living a good life in a secular way led her to being elected the president of the British Humanist Association in 2016, very posh, and today she is still the Veep, uh, ready to step in in case the president gets taken down. Uh, Shappy's outlook on life is coloured by an unusual life story. Uh, Her parents emigrated from Iran uh, when the uh, Shah was deposed and the Ayatollah Khomeini came in. And that means she was brought up as a sort of culturally Muslim atheist, which is a really unusual way of looking at the world. The conversation is totally great. Um, I loved it, but I thought I'd give you three takeaways that you're going to get from it. Uh, We deep dive into the importance of funerals, weddings and rites of passage and how to do them in a way which is meaningful and non-religious. You'll learn about how uh, taking part in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here uh, created a sort of spiritual transformation in Shappy. And lastly, there's a really great exploration into how a lack of meaning, disconnection and low self-esteem, which Shappy had in her 20s, led into addiction. Before we start the conversation, I just want to let you know that we are going to be launching Lifefulness 101, and that is a group learning experience that is designed to help you devise meaningful goals for 2021 and give you a community of absolute legends who will inspire you to make them happen. Uh, The course is going to be going online this week, probably on Friday, and then we're going to be starting it in January. Keep your eyes and your ears and your thumbs and fingers fingers peeled and uh yeah on with the show hey uh welcome to the lifefulness podcast with me sanderson and my co-host james croft it's a pleasure to meet you and a dog in the background with our guest shappy cool sandy uh how are you going shappy how's the dog I'm all right. So this is the Lifefulness podcast and James and I, we're writing a book on lifefulness and the idea behind it is doing for the spiritual community or congregation what mindfulness did for Buddhist meditation or what yoga did for yoga of like taking a practice which had previously been seen as religious and saying actually this has got lessons in here for everyone and then we're speaking to different experts who have got sort of uh Uh, you know different angles and different sort of uh, ideas which can go and feed into it so before we kick off was that did that explanation make sense at all of what uh, the life on this project is all about I think so and and what you just said as well about mindfulness so my grandmother used to pray um is it five five times a day do her namaz Mm. uh, islamic prayer and she wasn't a religious woman, but she was of a generation of that's what they did. And when I was a child, it fascinated me that she would five times a day just sort of roll herself off the sofa or whatever she was she was doing and do her namaz. And as she did it, it was like, an, you know, us kids didn't disturb her, although we did. We were very naughty. Um, and I remember once I said to her, why do you do the namaz? And she said, it's just it's a habit and it soothes mm. me and it looked soothing you know it was these mantras it was this connection and anyone who has is listening and has been to um any um anonymous group like Alco- alcoholics anonymous dog owners anonymous yeah, yeah. adoptees of romanian like street dogs anonymous I don't have a higher power and they were like mm. that can be anything so for me my higher power is my, you know me as a 10 year old which is I think the age I was when I was so sure of myself and what mm. I wanted to do and and so enjoyed being a kid I just loved being 10 so 
when I have mindfulness practice, I really connect with that. Uh, you have in just that first thing, you've sort of gone into our next question, because what we do, we've, we have a speed round at the start where we've gone and looked at congregations and spiritual communities and the six different component pieces of them. And then we go and ask our guests where they go and find these in their lives at the moment. And so our first one is ultimate meaning. And it's a speed round. So try to do it quickly. At the same time, <laughs> I've just asked you a huge question. So what does ultimate meaning be for you? What's like the big sort of uh, big driving value in your life? Uh, um, right, uh, being with my children. Um, it's honestly, how quick does this answer have to be? Well, relatively quick. We're just trying to. Okay, so I, I, I will. I'll be really. I was so lost before I had my mm. my my first boy, and um, it. I realised that somewhere along the way I had got lost, but and by lost I mean I didn't know where one day began and another one ended. I didn't know which way was up really, and I didn't value myself. I didn't value my time. And I just sold myself quite short a lot of the time. And then I had my son. And when I, when you have a, for me, I'm not, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, without, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that in, in a, in a universal sense, mm. life without children means nothing. I'm talking about what, what my experience was. And if I hadn't had children, I'm sure I would have worked something out, you mm. know, but I found having this baby that can't fall, like it can't fall further than me. Like I have to always be, really woke me up. It woke me up. You know, I was a very addicted person. I was very um, locked into a lot of um, unhealthy behaviors. And for me, life is being responsible mm. for something huge and that can be yourself <laughs> mm. it can be your work it can be your children but for me it it took having a child to really value things that I had suffocated for a long time and like I say you know I'm sure something else would have happened mm. eventually because it was clear that I was a bit by the way, I loved how you were managing talking about something which was so emotional and so personal at the same time while sort of struggling with the light and then sort of trying to negotiate with a dog and just sort of like like when you're in one of those situations or maybe a sort of date or at a dinner where you're just trying to sort of slowly like make them not realise you've just spilt wine all down your front. <laughs> you're just taking off your trousers and dabbing, getting them under the... Jackie, come. Here, boy. Here, boy. Here, Jakey. Come on. Good boy. Good boy. Come on. So, so we were just, we, you did, you nailed it. Ultimate meaning in a very short time, which is great. And then the next one is, uh, where do you find, uh, like we call it celebration and veneration of like secular worship? Like what group or individual practices do you have that allow you to connect with uh, something bigger than yourself? Oh gosh, that's got to be walking in um, in woods, right? I mean, mm. um, I go to the Isle of Wight a lot, and I go to Richmond Park a lot. Um, I love being amongst trees. I genuinely regard Richmond Park and running through it as my uh, as the thing that saved me when I was going through my divorce. So. Um, I, I got divorced about 10 years ago and it was an extraordinary traumatic time. Um, and I had a, a two-year-old boy and I would drop him off at nursery and then I would go put my headphones on, listen to music and I would run through Richmond Park mm. and I would run and run and run and then sit on a tree. And for me, that was connecting with goodness mm. you know, connecting with uh the reason to stay alive you know um it was such a tough time and you know if I was a religious person I would have spent that time praying 
and walking through the park or something. Um, I'd say that, that, sorry, I was going to say like that, that walking is like a really, that's a, that's a religious prayer, isn't it? The pilgrimage, there's, there are sort yeah. of physical prayer types as well. It's not unrecognizable. And also um, dancing, mm. singing. For example, the other day, obviously we've all been in lockdown. It's been really, really hard. And I, um, I have a, uh, a, she's not my sister. She's my aunt. She's my mum's sister, but we're the same age. And she's very um, gregarious and lost for life kind of person and extreme. And we've really supported each other as single mothers through the mm. years. And she came over. It was her birthday or the day before her birthday. And she just came over and she goes, there's this Turkish song that I can't stop listening to. And I was like, come in. And she put on this Turkish song and me and her and my daughter, my daughter was a bit like, oh yeah, great. I'll join in. We just danced completely sober. And then we put on some Iranian music and we just danced, danced, danced. And then she left. We barely, we just, and later on I was like, God, we needed that. Didn't we? Mm completely sober kitchen dancing and so my son is 13 and he's at an age now where he he has seemingly you know and it's natural withdrawn emotionally from me and connected instead with a group of mates uh however when we're in the car we put on bohemian rhapsody and we sing and we properly sing. We don't take, take the Mickey singing. Me and him sing, and we uh, sing Elton John's I'm Still Standing. Better and than you ever did. Better than we ever did. Looking like true survivors and feeling like little kids. And we never talk about it afterwards. But him and me, when we sing together, that's when we connect. And that, to me, is holy, for mm. want of a better word. It's like we're there, we're there, baby. See you on the other side. <laughs> but this is a, this is a podcast where holy, we can use it, we can toss in the yeah. sacred there. Okay. We, we, we're doing the translation in our heads. We know what you mean. Uh, and by the way, great, great speed rounding on this, James. You've got the next question. Yeah, you're we're doing done. fantastic. Uh, ultimate meaning, <laughs> celebration, and now the next one is is community life. Where do you find a connection with other people? Who are your people? What is your community? Oh, that's really, that's such a good question. That's such a good question. So I went on, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. On that was not connecting with the people that I was, I went to see a very, very, very wise man who gave me a mantra to say while I was there. And it was, um, I love my people. I connect with my people. And that wasn't the whole mantra. I can't remember the whole mantra, but the but the point of it was I connect Something with my people. And it was the best thing I could have done because I didn't connect. It was a, such a surreal experience. But I closed my eyes in my hammock and I said this mantra and I connected with my people. My people are comedians and they are my friends on my street. I've got, um, I live in a neighborhood where we are very connected with one another. Um, I, my people are the mothers and fathers of my children's school friends and my people are anyone that I could just look at at a certain moment for example during the Queen's Jubilee and just for a second just exchange an eye roll like you get this I get this it's good um my people are the people who were at a certain moment you can just glance at and you can go, yeah, we both understand that whatever's going on here is, a, is not 100% our bag, but we're going with it. And as long as I've got you to lock eyes with for a moment, it's all good. That, we always get one little clip for the podcast to kick off with it. And I mean, that's already, that already seems like <laughs> highlight real stuff. Uh, the, thanks so much for that. And then the uh, fourth part is uh, per, like in uh, spiritual communities, there's a pathway of personal uh, and psychological maturity. So where's your personal growth at the moment? What does that look like for you? 
Oh, my personal growth at the moment looks like taking ownership of how belligerent I have been in the past and how I how often I have needlessly created friction because of whatever else it was that I wasn't dealing with that's that is where I am I think do you know I follow um I follow Alison Moyer (laughs) on Twitter and she 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 said in a tweet that we all have an asshole room she goes I have an asshole room and it's only at the age I am now that I'm properly dealing with the fact that I've been an asshole many times in my life and I love that I have an asshole room that occasionally I walk around and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's been incredibly healing for me at the moment. Um, I mentioned my divorce earlier and what a traumatic time it was. And, you know, and yet uh, two days ago, my ex-husband and his girlfriend and I were discussing um, the Christmas we're all going to have together. So I do really... like I know that all the hor- all the awful things of the divorce are still bring me pain if I visit them, but it's appreciating that my ex-husband isn't who he was then, and I'm not who I was then. There's they're parts of us, but they're no longer the parts that rule us, and so that's a good thing. And also, I'm in a very brilliant place of understanding that it's really really healthy for me right now to be single Um, I'm somebody who has been a serial monogamer probably if I admitted it terrified of being single and for the last year it's been so nourishing to be single and it's better for me it's better for my children and I'm really enjoying it I mean the dogs aren't an accident (laughs) you got to feel feel the mayhem in somehow but I think I prefer it to having barking dogs than relationships I can't manage have you just invited a toxic dog into your life are you deliberately <laughs> suited have you, you've deliberately gone and uh, you've gone and got a bad boy dog oh uh, no no it's it, it's it's only night three James over to you for the last uh second last question of the speed yes, round an ultimate question so Many religions have an ethic of service to the broader community. So how do you serve others and how do you think about that? I think the last part of your question is key. How do you think about that? The fact is that I I do think about it now, like consciously. Um, Christmas morning, I plan to go to a soup kitchen. And also, just on a really uh, basic level, properly understanding that friendship is a job and I have to say that I've had um, there are certain friends in my life that I've really taken for granted and I've come out of that phase of my life and been so thankful that they're still there because obviously they've trusted me they've seen there's there is something underneath all the you know underneath whatever period of self-absorption the divorce it's the big thing in my life um so I'm very very actively conscious of being a good friend and also like I say being in a 12-step group the last step is is service and that service could be being a sponsor to somebody um another addict or that service could be volunteering to get the subs for the church hall at the end or um you know making sure the the kettle's on and there's tea enough tea bags and all of that and also i think this is a quick fire round you'll know by yeah. now i don't i don't do anything quick fire this <laughs> is just a to, fire round this is just it's a fire <laughs> round. i've really had to come to terms with the fact that i have left the 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 care my parents aren't ill but they are two elderly people um, and I've left it all up the lion's share of caring for them to my brother and use uh, just because I'm the little sister I'm the little sister and everyone's always shielded me from the the hard jobs and I'm the one that has the you know the the the, the beautiful yet tricky career you know, the, the all-consuming career. I'm the one that has the children. And so everyone's like, well, it makes sense that pay van. But actually, my brother's like, he's he's so selfless. 
and I've allowed him to be so. And so just lately, oh, all right, since he's moved to Rome. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I really made this decision to step up ever since he literally couldn't do it. <laughs> oh, my God, Shappy, you are, we have a modern day saying here, talk about using the word holy. You know, I, if you want to nominate me for a Pride of Britain award, please. I, I don't think that's enough. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, and the last question we have, and by the way, it's been so hard, so much of this stuff, I just wanted to dive in. And by the way, I can reassure you that the Tim Minchin made the quick fire round last an hour. So you are absolutely smashing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There's nothing left after he was done with it. You were just like, oh, we'll just wrap it up there. Uh, the, and then the other part is this idea of, changing the world which sometimes gets called evangelism of like how you working to make sure that your values are sort of are lived and sort of get put into you know get put into action in the world um can you repeat that i know it's really hard there's no direct translation of evangelism uh, i was trying to read the poster behind you sorry oh, this, this poster here is it says if the only prayer you said in your you say in your entire life is thank you that would be enough. Uh, and Sanderson uh, is very happy you read that because he spent about 15 minutes setting up the camera so that people could see it. <laughs> and it is by, it's by... I don't know if you can see it. Can you see this? Oh, hello. Uh, hey, look oh, at that. On. Can you see what that sign that is? says thank you. That's thank you. Yes. I mean, this is clearly what I need to amp up my career. I need inspirational quotes. You need inspirational quotes me. on the wall. I think that thank you is in a different context to your thank you. What's your thank you for? I think, okay, so I did. By the um, way, we just have to say if you're listening to this in the audio version, Shappy just walked across the room and she showed her thank you on the wall after she looked at the picture in the background. If not, it's just quite confusing, sort of entirely all visual references there. Yes. And the dog's just barked. It's all going off here. Yeah. So I have a big sign in the in the shape of a car number plate that says thank you. Now it's a different context to yours. This is this is uh, what a nicer person than than me you are. Um, that was given to me as a literal thank you from Mark Watson uh, for doing the car shows, the drive-in comedy shows that he oh. put on, and I put it on the kitchen cabinet above the sink uh, because. As a single mother, <laughs> I sometimes feel that I'm not thanked enough. <laughs> so it's a little G up to myself. Yeah. And now we've had this conversation, I realised, no, it's just I am very grateful. And again, bringing in the 12 steps, so much of it, well, everything is about gratitude. Mm. And oh, my goodness, like lockdown. When lockdown happened every night, I climbed into my bed with my little girl and just was just, I felt like someone has just thrown a bucket of gratitude over me every night. I feel gratitude all the time. Um, and again, sorry, sorry that it's, it's, I'm a celebrity that's opened my eyes up so much. But <laughs> when I was on that show, I felt such a, it cured me of any anxiety I had about my career. Mm. It cured me of any petty jealousies that I may have had towards other people because I was so thankful that I live in a world with really sensitive people and I, and I work in an environment where sensitivity and intelligence are the norm and um, sought after and, and curiosity mm. is ordinary in in my world. And curiosity to me is is just I take it for granted. But when you're when you're in an environment where there is none of that, yeah. it, it's it just made me so so I came back. You know what comics are like. I yeah. came back like kissing everyone. And they were like, <laughs> Like, all right, love, I've just had a bad review. I went to the Edinburgh Festival. I went to everyone's shows. I cried <laughs> after everyone, threw myself at everyone, said, I love you. You don't know where I've been. I love you. I love you. And, I, and I've stayed there. I, did, I, I stayed there and I, and I will remain there forever. And I, I, I think that 
it does anyone a lot of good to go off grid and have no contact with their life. So are you really saying, it, it sounds like I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, was like a, a real spiritual awakening. Do you know what? That's exactly the question that I was going to ask. It's, it's like a retreat. This is like a personal development camp. Of, you know, talk us through it. What was the thing at the start? And then how come you got to this place at the end? Because this is a very exclusive course, which hardly anyone can go on. It, it is. It's, um, well, no, they can. They can because it wasn't, it was not being in contact with mm. those I loved and not being in my life and my world as I have built it. And I have built my world the way I wanted to. And also from an ego point of view, it was an opportunity for me to get what I call tabloid fame. Mm. And with tabloid fame come riches, right? So I went to see what that was like. And it was the, the second I arrived, it was clear as day what I would have to do in order to achieve that and in order to play that game and become... Um, the sort of person that people want to watch on those sort of channels. Mm. And for someone of, of my age and my level of recognition, uh, I would have had to create some kind of drama or um, I saw it to play the game. I'd have to be a different person to the one that I am, which is naturally actually quite shy with people that I don't know. And, and very, I'm very much a one-to-one -one person. I'm not really, I think sometimes they make the mistake of thinking, oh, we're going to book a comic because mm. they're going to be really, really funny all the time. But if I'm with bombastic characters, my instinct is to go have it. If you want this airtime, have it. And if, you're con if I'm continually interrupted or pushed out of a conversation, I don't fight for airtime socially mm. ever. Um, and so I realized that, oh, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't my game. I, I, some people can do it. And, and it was really interesting talking to the lovely uh, woman that won, Georgia Toffolo. She won it. And from the get-go, it was clear she was going to win it. And we had a chat at the party afterwards. And she is the most genuine person. And it was so lovely to, to chat with her afterwards. And she said, uh, I've done this my adult life. My brain is wired for this. Mm. Whereas my brain is wired for stand-up, which is all about like utter self-awareness and, and the most genuine connection that you can find with strangers. And, uh, and yeah, it was really interesting being there. Would you like to see what my rescue dog is doing to my yeah. microphone? It's got the microphone cord <laughs> in its hand, mouth. Yes, I'm still calling you it because I never remember you're a boy. So it was just, yeah, do you see? So it wasn't, it was just, under, it, was, it was a relief to see that that world of glitzy, glitzy, glitzy showbiz celebrity isn't for me. Mm. It was, that was a relief. It wasn't like, oh, I want to be part of that. It's like, no, no, that's, I'm really glad I saw and, and to really learn that, that that's, that's not, what you can be and other people are, are really good at that mm. and I'm not and that's okay that was a flipping relief and I craved a grotty grimy comedy club with broken souls <laughs> and have drinks with that didn't give a shit about money or fame or anything just that's what I, that's what I love. The sort of punk aspect of mm. being a comic, you know, cause I'm from the nineties. I, I, I sort of grew up on the nineties circuit where for all its flaws and faults that as every generation does and back we see, um, it was, it was punk. It was underground. No one was really looking for, you know, celebrity and riches but then you get to sort of now and you go, oh, it's all there for the taking. Should I? Could I? All right, I'll have a go. Ah, not for me. And that said, I, I did get, you know, I did get paid a lot for being on it. I'm not being, I'm being yeah. a bit 
disingenuous saying that I didn't do the actual show for the money. But um, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you uh, sort of crickets no. and kangaroo penises. Yeah, I didn't do any of that stuff. So we've gone and looked at I'm a celebrity as a spiritual pathway, but one of the main, which is, <laughs> which is not at all where we thought this would go. But one of the main reasons we want to speak to you is because you've been a lifelong humanist, you're president of the Humanist Association. And so these sort of twice, you're vice president now. Uh, so, and, so my tenure as president finished, and so now I'm vice president. Oh, oh great. And then, uh, and then recently you, and so these issues are really important to you. And then recently you uh, did a, uh, your first humanist funeral. So I'd love you to, you to talk about that. I did. And I, th I, I, I hope, I, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this. I believe he's a he's mutual dead. friend. No. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> no, um, Ben, um, Wilderness Ben. Oh, so, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So he, um, so, so, He's somebody that I, I know mm. who has booked for gigs and, you know, I, I um, like enormously. And he sent me a text message one day and said, um, hey, do you do celebrant? Have you ever done humanist celebrant work? And because I think he was in his mid-30s and I just assumed that it was a wedding and he was getting married. Mm. And I, I wrote to him going, oh, my God, congratulations, <laughs> you're getting married. And then he wrote back, he wrote back, uh-oh, buzzkill, other thing, dad's dying, um, dad's funeral. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, mate. Well, this isn't a text conversation. So we, we, uh, he gave me a call and we talked about it. And I said, look, I, I've never done it before, but um, you're a friend and I will uh, do everything I can to make mm -hmm. this what you want it to be. And then he said, all right, then well, let me, let me have a chat with my dad. And I was like, oh, and he goes, oh, he's, he's, he hasn't gone yet. He's, he's in a hospice. So he went off and talked to his father. And then there, there's, again, I'm a comic. I have an ego. There's me going, is his dad going to give me the gig? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he came back and, and he said, um, yeah, my, my dad's, you know, good with this. And oh my goodness, I, I just put the phone down and cried. I just thought, wow, they're trusting me with something mm. huge. So huge. And, and so I did it. And it was the most, um, honestly, I know this is used a lot that's to say that you're honoured, but I, I don't think mm. I've ever been so honoured in my life about anything incredible I'm sort of lost for words about what it felt like and and one of the things I I, I got a book from um Humanist UK uh called Funerals Without God and I met I met the woman who wrote these books the the celebrant books she's an incredible lady forgive me for not having her name at the is it Isabel or is it she no no, uh, I know Isabel, um, yes. older lady. She wrote them many, many years ago. And mm. one of the things I got from the book was that it said you might want to give a few minutes for those in the congregation to have a few minutes of silent prayer if they're believers. Mm. And Ben's father was the writer of um, those um, Choose Your Own Adventure stories, a really sort of cult mm. storybook series that I used to read when I was a kid. And the funeral took a long time because he had many, many friends in um, Italy and other parts of Europe to, to come to the funeral. And I kind of, while I was there, I kind of thought, there's a lot of Italians here. There's a lot of Spanish here. There's a lot of Catholicism in this room. So then I remembered that part in the book and, and said, you know, let's have some. And then afterwards, Ben said that people were really you know, they, they, they remarked on that part because there were very religious people in the room who needed that. And we had made a point of saying, this is a non-religious ceremony. This is a ceremony without God because Ben asked, asked me to acknowledge that. And so that was really lovely as well. And, and, you know, to, to, to really understand that there are people who, who need that and, uh, you know, whatever gets you through the night.
That's really great. I've, you know, done not as many fu- not as many funerals as I've done weddings, but it is well, like it feels so personal when you do them that you've gone and helped it. And there is, you don't want to as as a performer, particularly a stand up, you don't want to sort of go and uh, get sort of airs and graces. But you know what it's like when you go and see a bad funeral, and you can like I've been to funerals yeah. and you leave and you're like, it's actually worse now. Like there's actually like this wasn't it's only the the like bad neutral where you're like this wasn't the person this person yeah, was yeah. fun and life and yeah. light and they and this is what it should feel like and then that you feel and then there's some where they just do something wrong someone where, where it's just like a bad show they haven't like thought of yeah. the and then the reverse yeah. of that is like a good funeral is healing and this is the part where you do feel like a bit like oh, i came in and i and then everyone but it, it genuinely is yeah you've got these hearts and souls and bodies there and by doing it well they're leaving in a place which is more whole and they feel that they've connected and it, it'd be great to know from uh, like what were some of the things you did if you don't mind saying if you feel that you can i sat with um ben and properly talk to him about his dad mm. and um and he made a point of saying to me i don't want it to be a funerally funeral so if you want to like feel free to crack jokes so you know because of his job the choose your own adventure so of course i did you know you can choose which way you want my my eulogy to go all of that <laughs> amazing and um but it was what i found very hard was not to cry. Mm. Um, I cry quite easily anyway. And my voice cracks when I get emotional. And that was actually the hardest part of it. Because I was like, this is not your, this is not your story. Yeah, this is yeah, not yeah. your show. This is not about you. It's about this family and this guy. So don't let your voice crack. That, and I didn't. But it was really hard that was so hard because you can't help but be moved and um I didn't conduct another funeral but uh, I was asked to give a eulogy at a very very small deliberately small funeral uh last year a very dear friend of mine who was only 23 um and she she got cancer when she was 16 and but she you know she went on she went to central st martin's she fell in love um she was my oh she she just was this beautiful sunshiny girl and she'd come to my gigs and she never called me shappy she'd call me shappy 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 <laughs> and, oh that's just because she'd we'd always get so excited about seeing each other it was like gotta say it three times And then at the end of her life, I didn't know what was appropriate to go to the hospital or not. And some of my family members had been and I hadn't. And, her, her, you know, it was her sister, her brother and her girlfriend. And at the end, I, I, uh, I got a message to say they've said, come, come to the hospital. So I went and I was late um i got there about oh, minutes after she had passed away and i just saw her dad come out of the room i mean it was i've never seen such a thing before like his his her dad's face it was like it was like crumbling in front of my eyes and i went in the room and i saw her and i got to hold her hand and i got to kiss her and all of that and and then her her brother and sister asked me to um give a eulogy at her funeral and the ceremony was so beautiful this girl she you know she was at art college she had hundreds of friends but they kept it tiny like it was such a privilege to be in the room um i think maybe 15 people and i just and her when they brought in her her bamboo coffin it was carried by her her sister her girlfriend her brother and her girlfriend's sister um partner of her her sister and her dad 
and they carried it in themselves. And that's the thing that when you have a funeral, a lot of people don't know how personal you can make it. They, they think you'd have to walk into a funeral director and choose, you know, but you can have it all yourself. They bought her in their own vehicle. And when I, you know, I just went up and I could do what I wanted. And if my, whatever it was that I wrote disappeared from my mind. It didn't matter. I just, first thing I just thought was, you know, it's just so wrong that there are so many young people in this room mourning. It was just, but, 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 beautiful thing about it was that they kept her wishes and they kept God out of it. And they made it about the friends and the closest people. And we could all spend as much time as we wanted afterwards, you know, at her coffin, in doing, saying whatever we needed to say. And I think of that funeral with such um, comfort now because, you know, we are now at a time where we understand that we have the confidence to have humanist on the other side a, a friend of mine's husband passed away this summer and she has a seven-year-old girl and she's from a very very uh religious country and, and culture and neither she or her husband believed in god but for the sake of the family she felt pushed into having a religious service and even that, like it happened in july and it today she goes mm, it wasn't what we wanted it wasn't our thing because of it it's when religious become religion becomes tradition or culture and it shouldn't be that way it should be what you need it to be your final service for the person you love if it is the final service or whatever you can have memorial services it should be different to that and oh you know can I tell you about one other funeral? My grandmother, my granny's funeral. So my grandmother, the one that prayed five times a day, she was my best friend, right? But she came, she came from a Muslim background and to her, it just, it was never up for question that she could be anything else. And even though she was not a religious person, um, when she passed away, passed away, that's quite a religious thing as well, isn't it? When she yeah. died. Um, you know, they had a, a a guy come with prayers, but they were, first of all, he said, women to the back, men to the front, women to the back, men to the front. And my gran wasn't like that. My gran would have gone, mm. you're, you're my granddaughter. And so I went to the front and these like, older ladies were like, oh, they said women to the back. And then he did the sermon that was like, all I remember was he said something like, in this dark black hole that we all let <laughs> and I was like my gran was the funniest woman alive she knew that my mum had a, a phobia about snakes and she bought her a snake ashtray for her wedding and my <laughs> mum my mum never even smoked so this was a cheeky funny complicated brilliant woman and no one was talking about her so I did. I was only 23, but I said, I want to say a few words. And I did. And people found it massively inappropriate, but I felt good. And then this, this, is a, this was beautiful. So as you know, I'm not a religious person at all. But when these men carried her coffin up to the plot, which was kind of slightly up a hill in the cemetery, they carried her on their shoulders, their pallbearers. And as they went up, one of them let out this loud, Allah, Akbar. And at that moment, like, it was like the sun shone and that human voice was so beautiful. Just went, Allah, Akbar, God is great. And then it was like me and my brother were like, we are marching. Mm. And to me, that wasn't about... God, it was about voice. It was about hu being human and about shouting from your soul. Uh, your, your, you know, your soul. No, a soul. Better. We've got like the soul. Yeah, like, like you, yeah, you can go to restaurants soul. and they're soulless. You can be in offices and they're soulless. Absolutely. We've got, we've got them. It doesn't have to have the traditional explanations. Yeah. 
and in that context, I loved it. I mean, he might have shouted out fish and chips and I might have felt the same. But no, I'm, I'm being glib about it. But th- I thought that is, that is, that was from his heart that lifted our spirits and we were, we were marching, we were taking her, we were saying goodbye. And that was beautiful. Yeah, and there's, I think there's something where if it isn't reflective of either the person who's there or you don't feel that you're connected, then in fact, it can be like hyper alienating. You feel that, and, and because, you know, when we're feeling that it's alienating, this trauma which we're going through, which is happening in our body, in fact, like there is a, you're going to a show and the show is there in order, like a, like a play, like a stand-up hour, and you want people to feel certain things uh, yeah. and, and about 40 minutes, have a bit of a music, a bit of a break, uh, or an Edinburgh Fringe part there. But like yeah. you have to, and so if we're not doing that, then like we can't process those emotions in the same way. And it's just... Yeah, I'm uh, like doing funerals is, and actually doing weddings is also really fun. They're, they're slightly different because when doing weddings, you go and speak to people and they say, can you just make it short? And you've got to go, oh no, no, no. You've been to a lot of like traditional weddings where you sit down in a church and you instantly flip through the book to see how long the thing's going to be. And yeah. uh, and then in fact, it's like, oh no, imagine that in fact you can put together an amazing show about how much you love the person that you're with and the people who are there. And you've got all your mates who can, they can sing, they can read a poem, they can like talk about whatever it might be. And again, the speeches, they don't just have to be in the, they don't just have to be at the reception. Why don't they make one of your friends tell tell everyone how nice you are, whatever it might be. That they're yeah. really just, that like these ceremonies, should like should be so much better hey, did you know a friend of mine a really close friend of mine called Duncan got married and I was on the way to the uh wedding with my brother and on the train my brother kept writing notes and uh I said what are you doing and he, and he sort of looked at me a little bit bashful because Duncan had been my friend it's a bit of a sibling thing but then Duncan and my brother had met through me and they'd become close and he went oh look chap um and, and I'd I'd been hoping to be best man at this wedding <laughs> And uh, he goes, oh, listen, Duncan's asked me to say a few words at the reception. And I was like, <laughs> didn't ask me. And then uh, we got to the wedding and it wasn't in the reception. They, are, they wanted my brother to speak during the actual ceremony. And it was so, I was very proud of my brother. It was so beautiful. And I did get drunk later and make an um, uninvited speech at the reception. <laughs> you know, and I did find out it really was a toss up between me and the eventual best man anyway. Um, anyway. Anyway, I'm not it, counting. I've been on either celebrity and I didn't like it. I could have been famous, didn't want to. Thanks. <laughs> oh, no, you wouldn't want to be. It's like raking over your love life famous. No one wants that. I, I did a wedding in uh, Jordan uh, to, and then I encouraged, because I had someone do a speech in my wedding. I got my sisters to do it and uh, and then I got a friend of mine to do it. And then, and then I said, oh, yeah, you can get your uh, friends up. And then... One of his brothers did this speech and, in, and I, like I said, remember, it's not the best man's speech. That's like, there'll be someone later. And he went and he did this speech. He's like, and the one thing with Dylan is that, uh, you know, you can always make him happy. He just wants a big hairy pussy <laughs> in the middle of a traditional Palestinian oh. Christian wedding. And then, <laughs> and then there's like quite a long pause whilst he rumbles in a bag as he's trying to complete this visual gag and then he holds up a picture of the groom holding a big cat <laughs> and obviously oh he's God. gone for dinner and i was like and so like all of the english people could understand and i was sort of mortified with and then gradually the night went on we realized that most of the people who would be offended were like they're more english as a second language and didn't hear it and then at the end of the evening this 70 year old palestinian i saw him go up to the guy who did a speech and went it is true they have the hairy pussies i was like what okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> james over to you i know you've been having uh, you've got a load of questions that you wanted to ask so many thoughts are running through my head as you were describing the funerals that you performed the eulogy you gave and the weddings as well it seems to me that one of the things that people Sometimes people who are not religious, I think, 
feel that one of the benefits of religion, even if they're not religious, is that they have a ritual for everything. So you, they know what to do when someone gets married. They know what to do when someone dies. You know, they've got a set of things. And what comes through to me from the conversation you and Sanderson have been having is that actually very often religions don't do those things very well. They have a set of things to do, but at least in my experience, you go to a funeral that is a traditional religious funeral and it has nothing to do with the person who's died and it feels very inappropriate. Or you go to a wedding and it doesn't have anything to do with the couple. And it seems to me that the things that you're describing are more getting back to the heart of what those rituals were originally about. Yeah. I, I think that is true because when it is a, a traditional religious thing that you have to adhere to these certain things, then it's bound to be the case that the personal is sort of sacrificed you know and and as human beings we 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 need ritual you know we ritual isn't a religious thing it's a human thing you know we need to mark things i had a, na a humanist naming ceremony for my daughter i felt that i really wanted one because she was um uh i had her by myself and I really wanted to, uh, in the absence of a second parent, I, I really wanted to appoint godparents or odd parents. Um, and so I wanted a ceremony to mark that, um, that these are the family that I'm choosing for her. And I think sometimes I, right, I don't want to, I don't want to be rude about religion because I know that so it, you know, it brings so much comfort to people. But I went to a, a, a friend's wedding and they were, I don't know what denomination is, but the mass that they had was in Latin and it went on forever, like forever. And her brother, we were a lot younger in those days, her brother just sent a whisper down the uh, aisle pub. And a few of us at the back, we snuck off to the pub during his sister's <laughs> wedding. And they're very close. And we just did suck she was marrying this ultra religious man and and he actually was studying to be a priest, but then he um, he decided not to. Well, right, because the the structure takes precedence over the purpose of the ceremony after a while. It becomes sort of ossified. I don't often quote from the Bible, but my favorite thing that Jesus ever said was, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what I understand from that is the idea that these religious practices and rituals are meant to serve real people and our needs. And the moment they get fixed into a form where we feel like we have to fit our lives into them instead of them serving the needs for which they were originally created, we've missed the point of religion or ritual life. And I feel like the sort of things you're describing is a way of reorienting us again to what is a funeral actually for? Why did we develop these rituals in the first place? How can we bring that out again in how we do it? I think that was less of a question and but we were... <laughs> Sorry, yes, I just, I, I, I'm instinctively sermonizing <laughs> but, now. But one of the things I wanted to get back to was something which you said right at the start, which was this talking about, like it sounded that with your children, you really answered a sort of existential uh, sort of crisis that you were facing in a way that you had you were really experiencing uh, a sort of loss of meaning of maybe chasing things that ultimately weren't healthy for you. Like, mm. Were there other ways you tried to answer that before? Was it? No. Some, no. <laughs> no. No. I remember going to um, spending some time in America in my 20s and I met this great guy and he came to see the show I was doing there and we all were chatting and we went outside for a cigarette or whatever. And he said to me, you're so disconnected with yourself. Your neck is like five inches away from your head. And I, I just remember him saying that and just going, I know I, I couldn't, I was like, what? I don't know. I don't know what you mean, but I knew exactly what he meant, but I had absolutely no way of addressing it. I was so, I found it so difficult to, um, be comfortable with people. Um, I just found it really hard. Like even having, I married my husband because um, 
I really got on with him. And when we met, he was the first guy that I could just have a natter to normally, the way I'm chatting to you guys. I could never talk like this with guys for a long time, something demented about me. And then, and then I married him because I thought, oh, we've got a special connection. But now I realize it's completely normal, normal to do that. But I would watch people communicate with each other and I, was, I can't do that. I can't just relax and be myself. I was really fascinated by people who could. And it's, you know, it was when I went into 12-step recovery in my, um, when I was 31, uh, that that changed. You know, I was completely in my 20s locked in um, a cycle of binging and uh, being a raging addict. So I didn't really have a prayer of having meaningful anythings with anyone, which is why I'm so grateful for my friends who came out the other end of all that with me. They were still there because I don't know what they got from me as a friend in those those times. Doing stand-up oh. is the most self-involved fucking career in the world. Horrific. Stand-up it's plus horrific. addiction is basically... I know. Incapable to acknowledge or even appreciate that other people have problems or needs. I don't know. I can imagine. Well, there's there's something about having low self-esteem that a really problematic thing about it is that you actually become very self-centered. And say if someone blanks you or someone isn't friendly to you, like now, if someone isn't friendly to me or blanks me or whatever... I just go, oh dear, that maybe they've got stuff going on. Maybe they've got a lot on their plate. Whereas back then, I would lose sleep. Why don't they like me? It's, like, it's not about you. Why, is, why, why do you have to feel like you're in everyone else's orbit? Um, so that was a bloody relief. Or, you know, if, if someone doesn't call me, if a friend doesn't get in touch for a while, Back then, I'd be like, oh, because, but, but, well, that's because they're hanging around with people that are cooler than me because they're all me. But now I'm like, oh, they must be so busy. Maybe I'll give them a call, see if they're all right. Maybe I'll send them some flipping flowers because it's their birthday and actually remember for once, you know. <laughs> Building my self-esteem has made me a lot less selfish a person. I sometimes meet people that remind me of me when I was locked in addiction and I've just got to remember you know, to not not be judgmental and, and not get irritated by it. Because sometimes we get irritated by characteristics other people have that we we see ourselves in. And I think, oh, I fixed that. Can you fix you, please? Because it's really dull. I don't want to sit and have some. Someone said to me, um, I was out somewhere uh, in not not too long ago in the in the other life that we all led and someone said uh, uh Shappi, um, I just want to ask you have I done something to upset you because I was like I haven't got time for this shit no you haven't done anything to upset me I don't even know who you are oh it's just that you know I, I'll you know and I had to know say no you haven't um sometimes I can be a bit um sometimes I you know I might be a bit distracted do you think it might be uh, and I just thought, why the, f you know, but I have to be patient and go, that was me probably at some point. I never actually, can I just say for the record, I never actually ever went up to anyone and said, if I done something, I never done that, but I have felt that. Oh, yeah, I'm more of a is... sort of holder on to that and just sort of let it paralyze me and come to me in the middle of the night as opposed to yeah. like the, the question of mum, uh, <laughs> mum with two children. Oh, God, you, you haven't got in touch with me recently. Is it because something I did? No, I've got. Four. Well, you know, I I lost a good friend that way. Actually, a a, a good friend who rung me up once and said, uh, "No, I called her and I said, have you got time for lunch? I'm in your area.'" And she goes, "Actually, no, I've been feeling really depressed lately, and, and the reason I had an hour for lunch was because I dropped my kids off somewhere." And I hadn't slept because my daughter wasn't sick, whatever. And I went and I she got she texted me back and she said, I'm I'm been I've been very depressed lately. And I looked at the text and I thought, this isn't a conversation for right now. And then life went on and time and I, I should have called her back. I didn't. I didn't and I should have done. And she pulled me up on it. And I 
I said, you're right. I was a crap friend. I, there's no excuse other than life stuff. And I'm really sorry, but we never fixed it. She never quite forgave me for that. So, and then I just think, well, all right. Anyway, I've heard through the grapevine that she's had a baby now. And every now and then I wonder if she remembers (laughs) how hard she was on me, on me, on me. (laughs) You just ring her up and go, oh, hi there. What chores do you have on at the moment? Do you have any? Can you remember the things you got to do? Are they all in your head? I no. need to talk. <laughs> and you know, you know what else I've learned? Actually, this is a really important lesson that as an addict, as, as an active addict, if I needed a friend, I would actively go to the people that would reject my reject me. I would go to people who wouldn't give me the time. And now I know and and it's useful because I tell my children this there's always people who will give you the time and if you're going to the people who won't give you the time for some reason you're not seeing the good people and that's a self-esteem thing thing you know you go to the people who will reaffirm your belief that you're worthless and that's uh, in my life that's always been friends who are really gregarious and you know party animals uh and and i've had to learn that they're not the people that are going to be there for you in your darkest hour Uh, but you're you're the quieter steady people that i might have dismissed as a bit boring you know are not boring at all they're just sound and they're deep and they're loving and you know it's easy to ignore people when you're in a in a bad ignore people like that when you're in a bad place yeah i think in uh particularly in stand-up we do want to go and stand next to the sort of the sometimes stand next to the the shiniest brightest chattiest people or whatever it might be and then uh, yeah i have uh probably uh yeah and then you're like oh no friendship is actually a job that it's got responsibilities yeah. it's not just the people who are most interesting to chat to in the pub uh Shappy, yeah. uh I want to thank you so much for your time. You have been so generous. And uh, honestly, speaking to stand-ups is always great because, you know, it's very funny, but speaking to a stand-up who has been through 12-step on this sort of podcast is uh, ideal because you're like so (laughs) emotionally literate and able to really plunge (laughs) into these things. So it's none of these sort of like, oh, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just trying to go jogging. You're like, oh someone slighted me and then I looked into myself and I grew. And so exactly <laughs> the sort of conversation that we had and thanks so much for your time. Is there anything that you would, that you're working on at the moment that, or where people can follow you or uh, how we can make sure people get more shappy in their lives? I have a young friend called Tom Lucy, who's a comedian. And when I said I'm doing this podcast, he texts me and he said, don't forget to plug your Instagram page on it because he's always telling me that I should be on Instagram more. So join me on Instagram or and or Twitter at Chappical Sandy. And I've got a couple of books out, Beginner's Guide to Acting English and one about a 17-year-old addict called Nina. And that's called Nina's Not Okay. And it wasn't based on me. Oh, yeah, just a, just another person. Yeah. <laughs> another person, totally random. Uh, hey, thank you so much. It has been amazing. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Goodbye from us. Thank you. Oh, that was great. Uh, yeah, like I said, it is awesome speaking to comics because often, you know, they're just so open about what's going on. And so you can really get into juicy stuff. And uh, though the downside is that, you know, the answers tend to run long. But then again, they're always great. So it's loads of fun. Uh, Yeah. So thanks so much for listening. Uh, At the end of the podcast, I'd like to do a bit of an update on uh, what's happening in the Lifefulness Project. And then... uh, also what's happening in the community. One thing which we would really like to do with the community, and please let us know uh, online some ways that you uh, would like to get involved. We're thinking of sort of seeing if we can get some voices of listeners in. So and we'd love to hear some ideas from you on that. We're thinking of like if people have got, you know, big life announcements of things which are happening or else if there's questions that you want to ask guests, we could go and record them and go and get them in. We're also thinking about maybe stories which uh, you guys have about how you're engaging with some of these 
big issues, uh, yeah, we want to hear the sorts of things which uh, you'd like to hear or maybe <laughs> maybe that you've heard on other podcasts and work really well, just nick ideas. Uh, yeah, so that's, we're thinking about how to get uh, your voices involved in the podcast. So uh, that's one thing. Um, it's not going to happen next week. Uh, so yeah, just let us uh, let us know. So that's one area on the community side. Also the small group, we're do- I'm doing that pilot small group, which is... Yeah, really great. Interesting putting stuff online. Obviously, I've done sort of quite a lot of with Lifefulness Live and other things, done sort of events online. But it's just a bit different when you've got a sort of longer term small group. And uh, oh, God, I can't believe I haven't mentioned a bloody election. <sighs> so weird, isn't it? I have been, I'm going to just tell you right now, in a bloody Twitter frenzy like uh, every two seconds going from my like this weird routine okay checking the needle you know the, the New York Times had their needles then going and checking the Google uh, page connected to the Associated Press checking the Guardian live blog checking 538 and being on some weird sort of loop of different sites and, and then like the day after the election someone told me about I've, I read about the decision desk which is a new thing and just being so weird it's like being in a tornado of information but like as it stands it seems that Biden is ahead just feels more relaxing just saw some tweets from him I'd be like I'd really like it if there were more tweets from this guy and less tweets from our orange friend Uh, you know the crazy haired tango man yeah, like it's still obviously it points to some really big divisions and like it really reminds me of why this work is important. Like really thinking about like how you can go and create community and go and find ways of sharing meaning. Because like clearly at the moment, like, I mean, you can't have shared meaning if you don't even have shared facts. So, yeah, so like wherever you are, I hope that you're you didn't get too stressed about it. I hope that you're feeling better and safer and more relaxed and if and if your guy did lose then well look i'm also wishing you a lot of love uh and (laughs) it's like we'll get there there is a there is a world that is better than this which we can build so look uh, i'll stop there as ever if you want to go and uh follow us that's great uh, at the life on this project on facebook and twitter no, not on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Come and say hi. Uh, if you want to leave us a review, leave us a review. This is getting on a bit. And uh, lastly, just want to credit. Thanks so much to my co-host, James. You're wonderful. I love you. Uh, our producer, Mav, uh, who does great work. Uh, Will Andrews, who makes the artwork. And then uh, the incredible Miro Shot and Roman Rapak, who have made the music that you are listening to right now. <laughs>